Welcome to America the Bazaar. I am so happy you are here listening to my new little baby of a podcast. I am the host, Jordan Rausch, and I have spent most of my life learning and retaining random facts about history. I am a great teammate to have for trivia night, but I am also a slightly annoying friend when anybody talks politics at a party and I feel an uncontrollable urge to jump in. So I decided to channel all of that random knowledge into a little podcast for you all to enjoy during your daily commute or work day, or just so you can also annoy any other party goers with your random knowledge. So I hope you'll join me every week to listen to one of my favorite stories from American history, and we can laugh and cry together about how ridiculous this country can be. So let's jump right in into the bizarreness of America with our first episode. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born May 29, 1917, to an affluent Irish Catholic family in Massachusetts. At just three years old, John almost died of scarlet fever. Not too long after he recovered, it was then discovered that John also had Addison's disease. Addison's is an autoimmune disorder where your adrenal glands don't produce enough cortisol. Now, cortisol is very important for body function. Cortisol helps your body respond to stress, maintain blood pressure, organ function, among many other pretty crucial things. Because John had Addison's disease, his symptoms ranged from severe abdominal pain, fatigue, muscle weakness, diarrhea, you name it. John, despite this disease, he grows up and attends Harvard. John joins the football team despite having an autoimmune disorder in the 1930s. As you can guess, it's not a great time to be chronically ill, but luckily JFK's family has enough money for doctor bills to keep his disease in check. So he grows up, joins the football team at Harvard, even though he constantly feels like he's going to poop his pants, and then he gets taken out in a pretty big tackle and messes up his back real bad. So bad, in fact, that when World War II began, he received a deferment from joining the military. However, John's dad, who was a UK ambassador at the time, pulled some strings and was able to get John commissioned into the U.S. Naval Reserve as an officer. So World War II is going on. John F. Kennedy is now in the Navy, commanding a patrol torpedo boat in the South Pacific. A Japanese destroyer rams into his boat, and Kennedy orders everyone to abandon ship. One of his men, Patrick McMahon, was so badly burned by the exploding fuel that he wasn't able to swim. Kennedy swims out to Patrick, puts Patrick's life jacket strap in his teeth, and starts swimming towards a nearby deserted island. Kennedy towed Patrick three miles in the Pacific Ocean, saving Patrick's life. However, Kennedy's back would become an even greater source of pain for Kennedy for the rest of his life. World War II ends, and Kennedy decides to dabble in journalism. But politics is his true calling. He becomes senator of Massachusetts, 
and after one term at 43 years old, John F. Kennedy becomes the Democratic candidate in the 1960 presidential race against Republican Richard Nixon. Now, this is the beginning of the 60s. America has very tense relations with the Soviet Union. The Cold War is totally on. The Soviet Union has just taken the lead in the space race by launching the Sputnik satellite. Fidel Castro's regime in Cuba is making a lot of Americans nervous that communism is spreading over the Western Hemisphere. Civil rights and desegregation issues are dividing the nation from the inside out. America really needs to vote in a strong and able leader to deal with these tumultuous times. Kennedy is seen as young, energetic, full of spunk, but Nixon is experienced. Kennedy was a one-time senator, but Nixon has been the vice president to Eisenhower for eight years and had a great career in Congress before that. Kennedy and Nixon were neck and neck for most of their campaign, usually with Nixon just ahead. In August of 1960, Nixon bashes his knee on a car door while campaigning. His knee gets so infected that he has to be admitted to the hospital for two weeks. When Nixon leaves, he is 20 pounds underweight, and he is still trying to recover. In fact, he's trying to recover just in time for the first televised presidential debate in American history. On September 26th, Nixon arrives to the CBS broadcast facility in Chicago for the big debate. As he's stepping out of his car, he bangs his knee again. Can you even imagine? Poor guy, he's been sick. He actually has a fever the night of the debate. And as he's just trying to get ready and prepare, he bangs his bum knee again. Nixon isn't doing so hot, but Kennedy isn't doing much better. Many people don't know how sick and how much pain Kennedy really is, except for his inner circle. Kennedy is in his hotel room trying to prepare for the debate. He's going over policies and crafting answers for possible retorts, but he feels awful. Campaigning has been very hard on his body, standing and giving speeches, shaking hands and meeting people all day has been very rough, and Kennedy's body isn't handling all of that pressure well. Kennedy mentions that he isn't feeling so hot to his old Harvard roommate, Chuck Spaulding. Chuck tells Kennedy, you know what? I've got a doctor that can help you out. I'll give him a call. So Chuck calls up his doctor, Dr. Max Jacobson, to see if he could help alleviate some of JFK's pain. A little background on Dr. Max Jacobson. Jacobson was born to a Jewish family in Berlin, Germany in 1900. Not a great time to be a Jew in Germany. He grew up to experiment with different mixes of drugs, vitamins, and hormones. When the Nazi party came into power during World War II, Jacobson flees Germany and arrives in New York City in 1936. He opens up a practice and soon finds himself with a very impressive celebrity clientele. Jacobson's records show that he has over 100 high-profile clients, 
ranging from politicians to celebrities. His clients nicknamed him Miracle Max and Dr. Feelgood because of how his treatments would leave them feeling. So the night of the debate, Dr. Jacobson shows up to the hotel and Kennedy tries to tell Jacobson about how tired and how much pain he is in, but he's barely able to tell him because he can't even talk over a whisper. He's in so much pain. Dr. Jacobson tells Kennedy, I got what you need. Jacobson pulls out a long needle and tells Kennedy that this shot will take his pain away and perk him right on up. Kennedy asks what's in that shot and Jacobson tells him, oh, you know, vitamins, hormones, animal placenta, just a little bit of everything in the right dose in this special concoction that I made up. Kennedy is desperate. Kennedy is like, okay, whatever. If it works, I'm in. So Jacobson plunges the needle into Kennedy's throat. Ugh, I don't mind needles, honestly, but I can't imagine a big, long needle going into my throat. That gives me the heebie-jeebies. But all of a sudden, Kennedy is feeling good. Kennedy is jumping around, moving his body, probably did a couple jumping jacks, high kicks, a few sparring boxing moves, and he's ready to kick some Nixon booty on that debate stage. Kennedy joins Nixon on the stage, and as far as articulating policies go, Nixon and Kennedy are pretty even. Those that listened to the debate on the radio felt that Nixon was the more experienced and better articulated one on that debate. But the people that watched the debate on TV thought that Kennedy blew Nixon out of the water. Nixon looked pale, had a five o'clock shadow, and because of hospital stay, just wasn't looking as robust as people thought a president should. Kennedy, however, looked vibrant and healthy and had a great smile. And compared to Nixon, he had a great tan. Now, if you're wondering, like I did, how an Irish dude from Massachusetts was tan, I think all of us would guess the spray tan. But it was actually probably because of his chronic illness, Addison's disease, that caused his body to overproduce melanin. Anyways, back to the debate. John F. Kennedy couldn't have been a better picture of a healthy, strong leader during the debate. The same could not be said of Nixon. Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daly said about Nixon, My God, they've embalmed him before he even died. That November, voters turned out in record numbers. It was a very close election between the veteran Nixon and the young Kennedy, but Kennedy beat Nixon with 49.7% of the popular vote to Nixon's 49.5%. Exit polls revealed that more than half of all voters were influenced by the first televised debate in their decision. Kennedy is sworn in as the President of the United States in January of 1961. He's able to manage his pain and fatigue with his usual team of doctors and doesn't speak to Dr. Jacobson again. That is until May of 1961, during a tree planting ceremony, Kennedy re-injures his back. It's hurting so bad that he decides to place a call to that doctor that helped him before the debate. Dr. Jacobson, for one of his special shots. Dr. Jacobson comes to D.C. and gives Kennedy another shot. JFK decides that these shots are really the only thing that helps take his pain away. 
So he starts to invite Dr. Jacobson closer to his inner circle. That next month, Kennedy is getting ready to leave for the Vienna summit to speak with the Soviet Union leader Nikita Khrushchev. Kennedy knows that these discussions are going to be brutal, and he wants to be on his A-game, so he decides to bring Dr. Jacobson along to give him shots when he needs them. On June 4, 1961, right before the summit with Khrushchev was supposed to begin, Kennedy asks Jacobson for a shot. Kennedy tells Jacobson, This meeting may last for hours. I can't afford complications with my back. Jacobson gives him a pretty large dose so that it would take longer for the effects to wear off. Unfortunately, Khrushchev arrives much later than expected, and the shot is already starting to wear off for Kennedy. Kennedy asks Jacobson for another shot when Khrushchev shows up, and Jacobson obliges. After talking with the Soviet leader for a few hours, they decide to take a break, and Kennedy goes looking for Jacobson. Kennedy was looking really rough. He was visually fatigued, and he was slurring his speech. Kennedy told Jacobson that Khrushchev was trying to bully him and was making all sorts of demands. Kennedy needed one more shot to keep his energy up against this Soviet foe. Jacobson was very nervous about giving the president a third shot of his elixir, but he eventually caved to the president's demands because you don't tell the president no. Jacobson was just hoping that he wasn't about to witness the President of the United States experience an overdose in front of the Soviet Union leader. Luckily, Kennedy did not overdose, but the meeting was also not a success. The countries didn't reach any peaceful agreements to ease tensions, and the Berlin Wall was built shortly after. Kennedy returns to the United States and keeps Jacobson close by. Whenever Jacobson receives a call from Mrs. Dunn, he drops everything and goes to the White House to treat the president. The First Lady, Jackie Kennedy, becomes a patient of Dr. Jacobson's as well. It is speculated that Jackie used the shot to make her feel better about Kennedy's mistresses, and she was also feeling the effects of postpartum depression. Another one of Dr. Jacobson's patients was JFK's most famous paramour, Marilyn Monroe. It is speculated that Marilyn was feeling the effects of Dr. Jacobson's elixir when she sang her very breathy and very famous Happy Birthday, Mr. President, to JFK at Madison Square Garden. Unfortunately, Marilyn would be found dead of an overdose less than three months later. Not everybody was a fan of Dr. Jacobson, though. The Secret Service called Jacobson the batwing and chicken blood doctor. Robert Kennedy, JFK's little brother, stole some of the magic concoction that Jacobson would load into his shots and sent it off to the FBI for testing. When the analysis of the formula returned, Robert Kennedy saw that it contained vitamins and enzymes like Jacobson had said that it did, but it also contained a whole bunch of amphetamines. The president, the leader of the free world, had been getting high on meth. Robert sits his brother down for an intervention and explains to JFK what exactly he had been getting injected with. In true drug addict fashion, JFK yells back at his brother that, quote, I don't care if it's horse piss, it's the only thing that works, unquote. 
Robert wasn't done with his interventions, though, and visits the drug dealer Dr. Jacobson himself. Robert tells Jacobson to leave his brother alone and, quote, go back to New York with the other Jews, unquote, which I know you're upset, Bobby, and the guy has turned your brother into a drug addict, but let's just leave the anti-Semitism at the door, okay? Okay. Jacobson is obviously very upset by this and does, in fact, return to New York. JFK is so desperate, though, for another fix that he flies to New York to convince Jacobson to keep treating him. Kennedy tells Jacobson, if not for my own pain, then for the country that has become your haven from the Nazis. Jacobson agrees to stay on as one of JFK's doctors and visits the president at his hotel suite at the Carlisle Hotel to give him an injection. Shortly after receiving this dose and Jacobson leaving, Kennedy starts feeling the effects a little stronger than usual. Kennedy is feeling really good. Kennedy strips off all of his clothes and begins to prance around his hotel suite. The Secret Service is entertained by this, kind of giggling to themselves, watching their high-as-a-kite president dance around his hotel room butt-naked. The Secret Service stopped laughing when Kennedy opens the door to his hotel room and takes off down the hallway of the hotel. The Secret Service starts to chase after him, trying to get the president back into his room and keep him away from all the press waiting in the lobby trying to get a glimpse of the president. The Secret Service obviously doesn't want to tackle him because, one, he's the president, and two, he's a naked guy high on meth. Luckily, they're able to corral him and keep him contained away from the press until a psychiatrist was able to arrive to bring Kennedy down with a heavy dose of phenobarbital. The psychiatrist explains to Kennedy that the shot that Dr. Jacobson gave him caused him to have a psychotic break. Nevertheless, JFK continues to use Dr. Jacobson as his primary doctor for relieving the pain that he felt every day. JFK's orthopedic surgeon, Hans Cross, finally was fed up with Jacobson, doping up the president and told Kennedy that no president with his finger on that red button has any business taking stuff like that. Krauss threatens to expose Kennedy's drug habit unless JFK gets cleaned up. Cross works with Kennedy's other legitimate doctors to get him clean and to strengthen his back through exercise so that he doesn't need amphetamines to deal with his back pain or Addison's. In November 1963, John F. Kennedy was riding in an open convertible with his wife Jackie in Dallas, Texas. They were smiling and waving at the crowds that lined the streets. As they passed the Texas School Book Depository, gunfire opened up on the motorcade. President Kennedy was shot in the neck and head. At 1 p.m., John Fitzgerald Kennedy was pronounced dead. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested for the assassination of the President of the United States. John F. Kennedy was 46 years old at the time of his death. What makes this possibly even more sad is that JFK was probably clean and at the best health and shape of his entire life. 
1972, the Times published an explosive expose on Dr. Max Jacobson that detailed how he injected countless patients with amphetamines. Jacobson lost his medical license in 1975 and died four years later on December 1st, 1979. And that's the story of JFK's meth addiction and his White House drug dealer, Dr. Max Jacobson, a.k.a. Dr. Feelgood. If you're interested in learning more about this story, my main sources were the New York Post, The Kennedy Meth, which, great title, and the New York Magazine's The Strange Saga of JFK and the Original Dr. Feelgood. I also highly recommend just Googling Dr. Max Jacobson. You will find a long list of all the different celebrities he treated, like Elvis and Truman Capote. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of America the Bazaar. I appreciate it so much, and I hope you will continue listening to me and joining me every week to go into other crazy stories of America's history just like this one. I spent a lot of time researching this and putting it together. If you would like to support America the Bizarre podcast, I have a Patreon page so I can keep telling you more crazy stories like this one. Please subscribe and rate America the Bizarre on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay weird, America.